Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transportation Exchange Podcast presented by Rush Trucks of Canada. I'm your host, Jason Cuddy, and on today's episode, we're excited to welcome Susanna Saran, who is the CEO and founder of Virtus Key. Susanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today, Jason. Um, my name is Susanna Saran with Veritas Key, and I work with Rush and other customers on their ESG strategies and on fleet electrification. Um, I have two master's degrees, one's from Queens there in Kingston, which in my opinion is one of the top universities in the world, and one from Cornell, which is an Ivy League in the U.S. Um, I've been heavily involved in ESG and fleet electrification for quite a while. I've done a joint project with Queens and Rush to look at the financial impacts of heavy-duty and medium-duty fleet electrification on businesses. Met with NRCAN late last year to discuss some of our findings. Um, so I've gotten my hands dirty in the field, working with customers to create solutions. And I've also worked with the academics in the ivory tower to study the impacts of ESG and policies. So this is an area I'm really passionate about. And thanks again for having me today. Yeah. And we we wanted to have you on, I think, because it's nice that the people have the passion and understanding, because I think there's there's a lot to uncover. And we're not even gonna really scratch the surface today, but I get a chance to talk to our to our sales team and kind of give us the Coles notes of Everything we don't know about EVs, I guess, is kind of almost the best way to put it. We understand a truck. The truck is the easy part, I think, for the most part in all of this. But as you just mentioned, there's a whole bunch of other terminology and, and things that kind of go behind the scenes that the corporations and businesses are required to do or required to meet in order to hurt hit certain targets. So I thought the best way to do it is, is get you here, maybe walk us through some of the terminology, what it is and, and what are we in for. So I guess you mentioned up the top there, you know, you mentioned ESG. Uh, for those of us don't know the why, what's in the house, what is ESG? <laughs> uh, ESG, it's it's in the newspapers and all over the place today. And and yeah, nobody ever stops to explain what we're talking about. Um, ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. Those are the three main areas that companies are expected to report on when we're talking about ESG. Uh, the goal of ESG is to capture all the non-financial risks and opportunities inherent to a company's day-to-day activities. Um, today, we'll be focusing on the E in ESG, which is the most complex, I think, and closely watched pillar. But uh, the social pillar involves things like health and safety standards, supply chain sourcing, child labor, that sort of thing. And then the governance pillar involves board diversity, executive compensation, things of that sort. So while those areas are complex, they're a little more cut and dry and easier to understand than sometimes the E. Um, do you want me to to go further into why customers yeah. are interested in ESG? Okay. So yeah, so yeah, what what I see when I'm talking to customers why they're interested in ESG, I think I think you have two camps, right? You have the publicly traded folks uh, who have big companies uh, and they just they want to increase their stock price and they want to maintain and, and manage their image. So stock analysts will review and then rate the ESG disclosures of these public companies. Everything has to be made public, so you can just Google this information and find it. Um, and then the analysts issue formal ESG ratings that large investors use to determine whether to buy the stock, which, of course, can increase its stock price. So you get your rating up and then your stock price goes up because more of those institutional investors are, are buying your stock. And it's a beautiful world. Um, what if you're not publicly traded? That's that's where it gets a little trickier because you say, oh, I'm off the hook. I'm not publicly traded. And that's not exactly true because if you're not publicly traded you either work for a company, work with a company that that is publicly traded, you know, you're providing them with a good or service, or you work with a company that works with a company that's public, right? At, at the top of the food chain, you always have that public company kind of sitting there. Um, and so you may not care about ESG, 
but the company at the top of the food chain cares about ESG. So what we're seeing is that vendors are um, requiring at least greenhouse gas emissions reporting. And we can go into this a little bit in a second, which is, mm-hmm. again, under the E and ESG. But, um, and you and I were talking about this the other day, but just Google the requirements for any vendor you want to work with. You know, if, if you own your own company or you work for a company, you're like, geez, I want to work with X company. And you will likely see something like, and, and this is a direct quote from like Unilever's site, but they all do this. We're prioritizing suppliers who have science-based emission targets in place. What yeah. does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so, it means that they want you to figure out your scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions. And not only that, you have to have reduction targets. How are you going to bring your emissions down? And that's just one big math problem. It's a lot yeah. of numbers. It's not overly complex. But it's a lot of numbers and it it takes a bit of time to pull it together, some guidance from an expert such as myself to calculate it, Um, but it can be done. But to to think that you're going to avoid this because you're not publicly traded or you're not big enough, I, I mean, even teeny tiny companies are having to report on this. And what if you say, well, I'm not publicly traded, I don't work with publicly traded companies, I work for the federal government, I work on government contracts, then you're in the third camp. And you're just like everybody else, the Canadian government, the U.S. government, the SEC, you name it. They either have current rules or pending rules that, again, require scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions to be calculated. And they also expect them um, expect you to have reduction targets. Uh, and, and the ones that are pending with their rules, we expect those to be finalized by the end of the year. So it's moving fast. Um so I, I'm just keep telling people don't like to do stuff until it's an absolute panic. And I'm like, it's a panic. You don't think it is, <laughs> but it actually is because come the end of the year, you're going to have a hard time finding people who can help you with this stuff because we're all going to be slammed. But um, right. anyway, there you go. Fair. Now that makes sense. And you made it, you mentioned a couple more terminologies, which I think, you know, we've got some rough idea of, but again, maybe walk us through. Uh, understanding different levels of scope and scope one, two, and you didn't mention three, and that's a really kind of big <laughs> one, but maybe walk us through <laughs> one, two, and three are as, as it pertains to a business. Yeah, absolutely. So scope one uh, is what they call direct emissions. And are, are you going to put the links up for these on the, on the podcast yeah, so that people can look at them? Yeah, we'll have links. Okay. okay, so, so I, I, um, I sent Jason before the call, I, I sent him a link to um, basically a, uh, pictorial that that shows all the different places that companies uh, create emissions from. And one of those is scope one emissions, and those are direct. So think fleet fuel, uh, jet fuel, if you have a private jet, uh, natural gas, refrigerants from your HVAC systems. Those sorts of things are direct emissions, and, and we have formulas that can calculate what your emissions from those things are. Scope two is from indirect emissions from purchased energy. So think electric usage, uh, that sort of thing. So basically you sit down, how many kilowatt hours did I use this year? You have to figure out where in the grid you're using the electricity and multiply it by a factor, depending on what year it is. You know, I won't bore you all any more than I have to, but yeah, you get the picture. So scope one is direct, scope two is indirect. Then you have scope three and scope three is anything else you can think of, literally (laughs) your company. So think waste, like your your trash recycle generation, business travel, purchased assets. And this goes back to what we were talking about a second ago. So um, you're going to have to ask your suppliers to provide you with emissions from creating whatever asset or service you purchase for them and disposing it at the end of the life. They usually have a very complex science-based calculations for 
um, the whole life cycle of whatever product they've sold you. Um, and that's why um, I think we we're talking earlier and I said, I, we can't go into this on the call because this would be like a 15 hour phone call, but right. scope three is huge. <laughs> and luckily most people are just asking for scope one and two at this point, but keep in the back of your mind, you're, you're going to have to do three at some point, but um, don't, don't get too scared of it just yet. No, fair. And I think in the links that, that we will have attached, um, one of them is it speaks kind of different scopes. I was reading through it and yeah, it just it kind of kept going on and on. We got to three. Oh, yeah. And, and it goes massive. back to the point before as far as, okay, maybe the, you know, the non-public company, but if they work with someone who's measuring scope three, they're going to have to be able to measure themselves in order to provide this information. Otherwise, they'll become a vendor or supplier at that point, right? Because they, right, they, right. It's, it's gonna, the, know, those guys do what they need to do. Yeah. And a lot of the public companies don't have to do scope three, but they're being proactive because the last thing they need is for it to become a requirement, which the SEC almost did uh, earlier this year and everybody kind of panicked. But just what they need is for it to become required. And they haven't lined up any of their vendors to provide that information and they're going to be in big trouble. So that's why the public companies are trying to kind of get ahead of the ball. Some of them are actually calculating scope three. Some of the OEMs are are doing that at this point in, in our space. But uh you know, not all of them, but they're, they're aware and they're starting to collect this information. Makes sense. And it's starting to become obviously a, a way of conducting business, right? It's kind of the new wave as we roll into mandates, obviously from, you know, zero emission vehicles, that's just the vehicle piece. Obviously this is the your whole business is everything that's involved with it. So it's definitely becoming, you know, for, you know, our, our world's trucking. And we think that yeah. the truck, obviously there's going to be other features as they're going to have to, to measure and monitor, you know, their package goods, where the equipment's made, how it's getting produced, you know, all, all of that, the fuel used to produce the equipment that they're using, like it's, yeah. it's intense and robust. And so it's, it gets, that's why I want to have you on. Cause it's, it's far beyond the truck really. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But such a key piece of it, because if you um, look at your scope one emissions for any company and you calc even scope one and scope two, calculate the whole thing. And I've done this a number of times. And if if you're dealing with a company that has a fleet of any size, most of their emissions are going to be locked up in two things, their electric bill or their electric use, which you're in Ontario, Canada, tiny, tiny, right. tiny emissions. Um, but if you go to some other places, uh, especially in the United States where they have dirtier so dirtier electricity. Um, right. I don't think anything's quite as clean as Canada and the US. Uh, it's, you know, that that can be the other half of your emissions. So you see a half and half type deal. But in Canada, three fourths, right, is is gonna be due to that uh fuel usage, that diesel and gasoline fuel is so dirty. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you sit down and what's the number one thing you gotta do? Oh, we gotta figure out our emissions. Okay, scope one, scope two, here's our emissions. And what's the other thing we gotta do? Reduction targets. Oh, shoot. <laughs> are we going to reduce? So you want to make sure you do the calculation of where are we today before you start reducing. Um, but you could say easily, yeah, we're going to reduce our emissions by 50% in the next 10 years easily. How are you going to do that? Well, you're going to flip your fleet to electric. There's also things we do with our customers um, where we have, you know, upgrade HVAC equipment that cuts down on refrigerants and electricity usage, um, upgrade LED lighting, um, install solar and battery storage for resiliency. That also um, decreases your scope too. So there's there's a lot of things we can do that save a ton of money, but also cut down on emissions um, so that altogether EVs are expensive, but altogether you can pull in that EV and pull in others cost-saving measures and kind of make it a much prettier picture and cut your emissions by a huge amount. And then you're a really good person to do business with, right? You look good, the customers <laughs> like you, you know, you, you, it's good. It's good for the environment. It's just all around a great thing. 
Makes sense. So then when we moved to the EVs, which is the kind of the other part of why I want to have you on was, uh, and we've talked about it in length with, with customers. We've talked about it in other podcasts and other guests is, you know, that the truck is kind of the easy part. The infrastructure yeah. behind getting the truck sort of, for lack of words, online is really, it's not necessarily a struggle, but I think the lead times may be staggering to some people. And I think you and I were referencing and we'll, we'll link to it as well. A Wall Street Journal article yes. about lead times. Maybe fill us in on kind of what you read and what your experience has been so far on lead times and different projects and companies you worked with. Yeah, coming soon to a municipality near you. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you, we, so uh, two nights ago, I was telling you, I was reading the Wall Street Journal and I found this article, which we're going to put the link to. Now, I think you have to have a subscription to read these articles, but so I'll give you a summary, but uh, it, and it, it's it was stating exactly what I had seen happening in the California market in the United States. But we went in Rush Truck Centers. Uh, I, I went in with Rush uh, in a consultative capacity, and we went in to put in chargers in all the California locations. Okay, not not a big deal. So this was a uh, four years ago. Oh, five years ago at this point, holy cow. And uh, they said, oh, you know, we're looking at about a 12-month lead time to get infrastructure. And we panicked, right? We're like, shoot, if it's going to take us 12 months, our customers, it's going to take 12 months. It's the end of the world. How's anybody going to buy an EV, right? We're panicking. And then, we, so, but we drug our feet. And then they called us up and they said, uh, now it's out to 18 months. And we're like, oh, shoot, we better get moving. And they said, and by the way, the grid is getting filled up. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And they said, well, we have X amount of electricity available for any given area. Um, and this is for all municipalities. And, and the utility just has a certain amount of electricity available. And once it's gone, it's gone. And so if you claim it by putting in all your chargers, then it's yours. And if you don't claim it, we can give it to somebody else. And then what happens is you move down the list and it may take 18 months to get that infrastructure in, but it won't do any good once it's there because we have no way to power it. Wow. And we might have to put in a whole new substation to do that. And it, this Wall Street Journal article was great because it said, you know, if you have, if they have to put in a substation, you're talking five to 10 year wait. And you're using mobile chargers with battery storage the entire time because you still, you know, you still want to move to EVs and you want to do what's right for the environment, but it makes it so much more complex where if you would have just been an early mover, you wouldn't have had this problem. So the electricity, piping the electricity, you know, getting it actually to your your place, um, you know, where, where you're going to have these EVs and claiming it, putting a claim on it is so critical. And you and I were talking about EV chargers and how people are panicking, you know, I want to make sure I pick the right charger before I do my project. It, it's, you know, you, you wouldn't worry about the faucets in your home, right? And, and hold up a plumbing project because you don't know what faucet to put on. It's literally that that uh, critical. You, it's absolutely critical that you claim that electricity, get it piping into your your place of of work, and then if you put the wrong charger, and I'm not sure what the wrong charger would be, but maybe you put on a charger that just doesn't work as well, or it has a lot of downtime, you're you're having some issues. You can swap it out, but what you can't do later is say. I want more electricity when it's been taken up by the guy across the street. And so, um, yeah, incredibly complex. I think I went off a little bit there. I'm sorry. No, but it, but it was true. And I think that's, it's a good way to explain it because I think, you know, a lot of cases we think about the chargers and like you said, they're 12 to 18 months and part of that. Um, and it's the infrastructure, but it's, it's the grid. And I think, you know, the challenge I think in, in working at, you know, obviously you see, but even we do on our end, as far as when we talk you know, to customers about it is it's not, like a federal program, it's a municipal-based 
system, yeah. right? So you deal with different municipalities for your uh, for your powers. So depending on which municipality is, they could have a you know they could be in front of it, uh, or they could be overtaxed and overwhelmed already. So it really yes. you know that time frame, although it's a nice guidance and, and it's realistic, it'll vary completely by municipality to municipality, and that's that's the other struggle is you that you don't have a good answer. Or, you know, yeah. here's the product, here's the time frame, let's go. It's it depends where are you, how many do you need? Like there's 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 so many moving pieces to really put it all together. Yes. Yeah. I, I um, you know, if if you want to people come to me and say, well, what's the cutoff at which I have a huge infrastructure project and I need to work with the utilities and make sure I have enough electricity? And I say, I don't know. It depends on your facility. If your facility has X amount of power and you're bumping right up against that even two chargers is going to push you over and you have a major project on your hands. If you have a ton of extra space, which most municipalities don't do, it's it's a waste of their money to, to have assets sitting out there with electricity um, available and you're not using it. But if you do have a whole bunch, you could maybe put in five or six and be okay, right? It's Or maybe you're really close to a substation and it's easy to get you more power. Like it, it just kind of depends on who you are, where you're located, um, how many other companies are sucking up power around you. It, it's so incredibly complicated, but you don't want to be having these discussions on the back end of buying an EV. You want them on the front end. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I agree. And, and- we preach for sure is the consulting piece is really the biggest piece of this right like oh by far looking at it gets you in in front of the experts as far as whether it's local whoever it is that that you're you're working with and start the conversation they can start doing the legwork like like you do as as, and get in front of which municipality okay yeah we know historically it's this or historically it's that or let's reach out to them let's find out how many trucks how when are you charging them what time of day is it fast charging slow charging there's so many different variables they'll pull you know, uh, constraints on the grid. And at least then you can start getting a really good time frame and cost involved to get you where you're going to go. And then the truck can follow that afterwards type thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I yeah. I, and, you know, you were talking about electricity usage. It just brought to mind demand charges. And this, again, that this, you really need to sit down and work with a consultant or, or somebody who's has a specialty in this area because demand charges alone, you know, people come to me and they say, I, I want the best of the best. I, I want a 350 kilowatt charger. I want a megawatt charger, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Okay. But have you thought about the fact that if you pull down a megawatt all at one time, the demand charge that's associated with that will bankrupt you literally right. like, Oh yeah. Because we want the best, but we <laughs> We don't think, and I can afford the charger. Yeah, you can afford the charger. You can't afford the fuel that goes into the charger, which is electricity. So it's 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 a dance between, you know, you want to have a um, enough electric capacity to fill these trucks. You need to watch how much electricity you're putting in at a time. You need maybe make sure you have battery storage on the side so you can charge them at full charge without hitting demand charges. It's it like I said, it's very complex and it's not just I got my truck, I got my charger, I'm off and running. Like it there's a lot more to consider there. Yeah, the battery storage is an interesting one in reading the article because I hadn't really considered it like where you just used to putting a charger on site, you know, m- mirror it up to the truck in kind of your application, right? How often yeah. you need to yeah. help and you just kind of to your point, you know, plug and play for lack of better words. Mm-hmm. Uh but the idea of battery storage is interesting because then you can fill that up during, say, the non-peak hours, especially if yep. you're if you have different shifts that run and need to charge during peak hours, uh, say during the daytime for the most part, then you can fill it up overnight. And when they come in, you can at least do the majority of charging off that storage bank, right? Well, well, yeah. and, and 
using cheaper electricity yes. uh, in peak hours, for lack of better words. And then, you know, if you need to top up, fine, at least, but at least you're not totally bankrupt yourself, like you said, with with high peak hour rate, you know. So it's a, it's another piece of that consultation that you wouldn't get if you're just looking at the truck, right? There's another piece to yeah. consider the infrastructure phase as far as, hey, if I have five trucks, maybe we go for the storage bank as well, just yeah. to help take some burden off of everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you and I had been talking earlier about what, you know, do you just go um, to the utility and say, we're putting in four trucks today? Or do you go to the utility and say in five to 10 years, which is what I recommend, our plan, our long-term plan is to put in 100 EVs. The utility needs to know that, right? If you go in and say, and this was in that article, I believe also, if you go in and say, I want four trucks, they're going to pipe you enough electricity for four trucks. If you say, I'm planning on having 100, they're going to start plans today for a new substation. And so you, again, pulling that utility in and having them be your partner in this whole thing, uh, I get to be best friends with with a lot of utilities. Yeah. Um, and we have lots of conversations because if you're not moving lockstep with your utility company, you're, you're going to have all kinds of problems um, and it can hold up the whole project. So uh, yeah, a lot of moving pieces. But it's it's great for the environment, um, you know, and it cuts emissions by so much. It's it's so impressive. Yeah, no, I mean the technology is phenomenal on, on these trucks, you know, and it's yeah. just even for the operators, the, the the comfort level, the the quietness. I mean, it's it's such a yes. different environment from the working, but it is really cool. But and I agree with you. I think that the planning for the future is really key in all of this. So it's yeah, eighteen months out at least before you can maybe see something happening, but to your point, further out and further out, you, you want to go put in a five-year, 10-year plan um, and recognizing the technology will change, but as far as the chargers may change, the trucks may change, the, the battery chemistries may change, but the, the power coming in isn't going to change. That's still going to be required. Always going to need yeah. power. Yeah. <laughs> Distributing it into vehicles, which would just be better. Um, but, you know, it, it, like, to your point, if you don't start now, you're going to be really behind eight ball, right? Because I got and besides, you could be planning for 50 trucks and, you know, we'll have enough to drive everything he needs without a substation and you may put it over the edge to get a substation. Right. So yep. uh, like I said, having them involved is is key because then they can they know what else is going on or who else is coming in. If they've got open land coming in, that's, hey, we know there's a big warehouse going to come here and it's all final mile distribution place and they're going to go all EVs. It's like, OK, you may not know that being in you know where you are, but they'll have a good idea and they can help plan accordingly so that there is room for you to grow and, and meet the strategies and hit, you know, your, your scope one, scope two, and hit all the compliance levels that you need to do to, to service your customer, which at the end of the day yeah. is what he's trying to do right with all this. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. So there's a lot. So yeah, so we'll, we'll link a lot of stuff we talked to uh, in, 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 in the, uh, the video, especially for everyone to, to look at so they can kind of reference it and kind of wrap their head around what it is we're talking about. But I think you provide a really good high level view of, what else outside of the truck do people really need to understand and, and what is it and why is it important? And I think knowing the scope one, scope two, how you know that it's measurable and how are you measuring it and you know, understanding why companies may be asking for it. Cause that's probably coming a bit more often than it has been in the past is people are probably looking yeah. for, you know, give me some measurements. What is your plan? What is your introduction? You know, a lot of people are probably just getting used to, you know, maybe thinking about having an EV, <laughs> let alone yeah. measuring, you know, it's impacting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's good. We want to let everyone know, hey, here's what's coming. And to your point, it's it's coming faster than people think, but it is coming, right? So yes. at least they got a general idea of what's involved, what's about, some resources to, on, on where to find a little bit more. So yeah, I think that was great and informative. And, and thank you for sharing, sharing that with us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
Excellent. Well, that concludes today's episode. I want to thank Susanna for joining us today. And to catch up on past episodes, check out transportationexchangepodcast.ca. And until next time, thanks for listening.